0: Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about Anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's completely free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ballistic Podcast live. I guess we're in two different places. Uh, I'm in Denver, Colorado, and uh, Vikram is in Monterey, California, so... Hey, we are in two different places, but somehow we got to do this podcast, right, Vikram?
1: Yeah, no, I uh, I really appreciate you making some time when you're traveling, man, to uh, come on to the pod and talk some basketball on a at least a really wet and cold Saturday night here in Monterey.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is it is pretty cold here, but I'm in my in my room, pretty cozy, and the temperatures up. Uh, well, thermostat. let's be honest. Yeah.
1: California cold is not cold everywhere else. So everybody who's listening to this pod, like not in California, uh, I apologize. Our cold weather is like uh, you know forty degrees. Your cold weather is below zero. So a little difference in scale there.
0: Uh, but in in Denver, it is actually I I believe it is just above freezing temperature. So it's like oh, is it really like, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's okay, actually pretty comfortable. Fine. I I came at the right time.
1: That's uh, that's pretty amazing.
0: I mean it's 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 not as, it's not a cold spell here at all. Uh, but I mean, it does get cold by California standards. So I, I, gotta, like, I gotta suit up and, um, be ready for that. So anyways, uh, it's great that we could do this podcast again. I repeat this again and again, because I guess I want to see our subscription numbers go up, but if you have not subscribed to our podcast, please subscribe. We're on Apple podcast, Google play, you know, the drill, click subscribe. You'll get an alert when, We knew that we do this podcast and we sort of had this New Year's resolution that uh, we would do a podcast more often. So uh, here we are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think our goal is to do this weekly and Saturday night being our our week schedule allowing, of course. But I think it's a good way to go and I think we'll be able to continue to do this. And it gives us a chance to talk about weekly topics in the NBA instead of waiting months and months and then having a lot of uh, having a lot of talking about different issues, not being able to cover some of the things that happen week to week that are significant.
0: And right. And, uh, and because of Skype and some inside technology that allows us to record whatever, uh, whatever is recorded on Skype, uh, it allow I mean, it allows us to do the podcast. So it's a great opportunity for us to do, do it once a week and talk about the happenings in the NBA, which there aren't many for this week, but, um, we're going to try and go over some main stories for you guys. Uh, so the first thing we wanted to talk about, uh, just going in right away is the Philadelphia 76ers. And, uh, obviously Adrian Wojnarowski just came out with the story today. Uh, not, he didn't come out with it today. I think he came up with it yesterday that, uh, Jimmy Butler and the coach, Brett Brown had a little bit of a falling out. Not, uh, I guess, do you want to call it a falling out, Rune Sorry, Vikram. <laughs>
1: You do that at least three or four times every time we, we plan for the podcast. But the, I wouldn't call it necessarily a uh, falling out. I'd say they had a, a pretty heated argument. Although I will say Brett Brown said it is within the parameters of the relationship that he has established with Jimmy Butler. So that's his official take on that. Whether or not I believe that, I you would I am a little skeptical that this is a normal interaction between player and coach. However, Jimmy Butler is notoriously difficult and uh, kind of thorny and prickly. He's a guy that's different, who tries to be different and is proud of being different. So there are some of those other considerations with Jimmy Butler. But that aside, uh, you know this this is a little problematic for the 76ers because they have a big decision to make at the end of this, uh, at the end of the season, which is whether or not to provide Jimmy Butler with the the contract extension that he wants for five years, right? Like that's a big commitment for a player like Jimmy Butler, especially when with the considerations about his age and all those types of things. And then adding on whether or not he's going to destroy your team chemistry, that's a pretty big concern. And the further concern also is his fit with Ben Simmons because one of the things that he's trying to do is play more traditional pick and roll and isolation sets. That's what he told teammates reportedly. And who's doing those things right now a lot of that is in ben simmons and running pick and roll i mean so it, it looks to be that there's a clash between jimmy butler and ben simmons and that kind of makes sense given the struggles that the 76ers have had with their offensive sets
0: look i think the only reason this is a story is because jimmy butler was involved in it i think if any other player may on the 76ers is had a you know, had an argument with a coach. It probably isn't that much of a story, but because it is Jimmy Butler, because he had issues in Chicago, because he had issues in Minnesota, and now he's with the 76ers in supposedly a good winning situation, and this is happening again. I think I think that is the reason this is a story. But I mean, with Jimmy Butler, Adrian Wojnarowski, when the trade was made, made a good point to say that he better be on his best behavior. Because he cannot come back and say that it did not work out three times in a row. I mean, you could say that Chicago was a bad situation, or maybe a questionable situation at best. I maybe mean, you could say that Minnesota was a bad situation, didn't have the young players who were, who were willing to play his style. and But you cannot say that Philly is necessarily a bad situation. I mean, th- this is three consecutive trips for Jimmy Butler where it has not exactly gone well. And it gives teams some pause that with, whether or not to give him a max contract, because mm-hmm. giving him a max contract is not only what you do on the court is what you do off the court in practice, at meetings, um, in the community, all of that stuff. You're basically a figurehead for the franchise. So I, I am not surprised that the story came out, but I, I, I don't think it's a very big deal.
1: Yeah, like, I'll be honest. I think this is a little bit of much ado about nothing. So I agree with you from that perspective that it's mostly happening because it's uh, it's Jimmy Butler and he's had all of these issues. But to the rest of your comment about it not working out in three different places and all that type of stuff, I agree with you that that's like a real issue. But the other thing I would say is, to be honest, I don't think the 76ers are particularly a, like a perfect situation for Jimmy Butler or anything. His skill set doesn't necessarily fit that team. (laughs) Like, to be honest, I think I prefer Robert Covington in terms of fit, not as a a better player than Jimmy Butler or anything like that. But with the talent that they have on that team, Jimmy Butler is another kind of ball-dominant guard. And when you have Ben Simmons, who already is ball-dominant, it creates issues. I think that's the biggest problem that they're going to have. And you see that, right? Like, you see, hey, there's too many people with the ball that and, need
0: the ball in their hands to score. And, and, I, and I think we talked about this when the Jimmy Butler trade consummated itself, that the Sixers still have a shooting problem. They still have a floor spacing problem. Jimmy Butler is not the kind of guy you want to spot up or shoot around Ben Simmons. And if Ben Simmons is going to be handling the ball the majority of the time, it's it's not a great situation for Jimmy Butler's skills to shine through. Your thoughts, Faroon?
1: But that's okay. The... <laughs>
0: I'm I'm gonna, come, oh, my God. Why am I? I'm
1: okay. going to laugh every single time. It's all good. Ugh. My big thing with this is – so the problem is Ben Simmons does not provide you anything outside of being a ball handler in from the offensive sense, right? Like he's he's not a great cut off the ball type guy, and they can try to run some sets that kind of feature that part of the game for him. But in terms of when he's not the ball handler, he's stuck at the dunker spot. And that's problematic because that clogs the lane for Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid is by far the best offensive player on that team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So the issue here is he creates a spacing issue, Ben Simmons does. And when you combine that with the fact that Jimmy Butler is not like a sniper from three-point range and is not necessarily going to you know, create a, a good three-point shot every single opportunity down, you know, that creates problems. So spacing is an issue and while Jimmy Butler is the best player available and I, I don't necessarily I still don't disagree with the trade because at at the end of the day the 76ers needed to make some sort of a change this season in order to to go as far as they can. But that being said, Ben, or ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler is not the ideal fit for this team and long term I think that's going to create some sort of issues. And the question is do you want to keep do you believe a team of Ben Simmons Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid can carry you further with other complementary role players. Do you believe, if you're the 76ers, that Jimmy Butler and and uh, Joel Embiid is a better pairing than Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? Because that's the big question.
0: Right. And, and, and the compatibility of those three guys is going to decide what the future outlook of the 76ers are. Look, or rather is. Look, uh, Joel Embiid is the best player on the Sixers. There is no doubting that at all and you are going to build around him um but the thing is there are many ways to build around him and one of those ways is to have ben simmons as a, a sort of a point guard role a ball distributor role but then if you're going to have ben simmons in that role and he's not going to going to improve his shot then you need to have floor spacers around him to make sure that the lane doesn't get too clogged up for when Embiid wants to dominate in the post and jimmy butler is not that guy. So, right. So either you're so, going to need to figure that out or Butler's not going to be on the team in the future or Simmons could have trade value during the trade deadline this year or during the offseason next year.
1: Right. I think, so uh, to be honest, I think Jimmy Butler probably fits a little bit better with Joel Embiid than, at this current point in time, that Ben Simmons does.
0: I, absolutely. It's,
1: it's simply because Jimmy Butler can shoot Jimmy Butler can also handle the ball. And Jimmy Butler can do a lot of the things that Ben Simmons can do. There's some things that he can't do. He's not as athletic as Ben Simmons. Uh, he's not as good of a rebounder in my mind as Ben Simmons. And defensively, I do think Jimmy Butler is better. But Ben Simmons has the potential and already is a good defender. But can be, he can be otherworldly from a defensive perspective. So it's not to say that Ben Simmons is a bad player. But I think he needs to be featured in a Giannis-like system for him to reach his full potential. Especially since he actually shares a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses of Giannis, but you know he's less athletic. I don't think he's nearly as explosive.
0: And at uh, least Giannis has tried to shoot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, has tried to shoot is one thing,
1: but his his shooting's almost gotten worse every year. But you know he's putting up Shack-like numbers, so that that's a different topic. But that role for Jimmy Butler is really in question. Now I kind of understand why he's. You know, he's struggling or he's making comments saying, hey, I want my role to be changed. Why are you doing this? So I kind of understand why he's questioning Brett Brown, but he needs to be very careful about the approach that he takes because he's already struck out twice. And like you said, he does that a third time. I'm not sure who's going to offer him a max contract, although, to be honest, somebody will.
0: That's that's the thing. I guess Butler's argument would be all it takes is one team. And, and he's right and he he might find that one team if that one team is desperate enough um maybe you know the Brooklyn Nets take a chance on him I, I don't know maybe maybe that's that also is not the right team for him but maybe if, yeah maybe if, if you look least, at if you look at Simmons right i want to analyze the Simmons situation for a second do you think that the 76ers should consider trading him sooner rather than later and try to get the most value of him for him try to get players that fit in and around Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler.
1: So if you can get a package of players that makes sense, I think you have to consider it. Uh, But at the same time, Ben Simmons is a next level talent. He's not, you know, he's not just some guy. Like he's really, really good. I mean, it kind of depends on what you get back. If you could get Brad Beal and another really solid point guard, that might make sense. But I'm not sure what the trade package is for Ben Simmons. I I don't know what his worth is around the league either in terms of, you know, what teams are built to accept him right now. I think that's the biggest problem that Ben Simmons is going to have is given his shooting deficiencies, you really have to structure the roster around
0: him. Exactly. And that's why I think it would have to be for a team that's looking to rebuild that probably has some pieces right now, but... They're probably not equipped to win. And those pieces are actually uh, um, are actually things that the 76ers need. It, it will need to be the perfect storm is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and So,
1: you know, we talk about this this fit thing a lot. And the, the example that we talked about last week uh, at the end of the podcast is, you know, where's Nikola uh, Nikola Vucevic going to go if the if the magic we're going to try and trade him? What team is gonna is gonna trade assets for him? And I actually think of Ben Simmons in kind of a similar light. Not that the, the players themselves are are related, but what team is situated in such a way that taking Ben Simmons doesn't fundamentally alter where they are this year? And if it does, that they're you know that they're a team that's willing to rebuild around him as the centerpiece. And I'm not sure what team that is, and like that's a that's a real question of mine. But like, do you think you could swing like a Kemba Walker trade somehow? I'm not even sure they have enough salary to to make that work. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I just came up with that on the spot. But I mean, I think that might be the type of conception of a trade if you could get some guarantee that Kemba well, Walker. Sim- well,
0: Simmons is on a rookie deal right now, right? So uh, so I mean, it would it would be up to um, it would be up to the 76ers to match the salaries if that was a right, trade you were exactly. actually looking to do. But I'm saying
1: I'm not saying, I'm just saying I don't know how if the 76ers have enough salary to match that.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely
1: but i mean i think that's got to be the type of conception of a trade for ben simmons right like it's got to be a really good player and then potentially some future assets depending on uh, on what the on what the team has the team that they're trading him to has to offer but I, I don't know that they're there yet like i think the one thing that we have to remember is they're way ahead of schedule for the rebuild i think last year because they did so well people pushed them ahead but i think they're still kind of figuring it out on this rebuild. I don't think they're necessarily done yet. And I think it would be wise for them to keep that in mind.
0: And I I would agree with you there, but um I would also say that the time of your rebuild runs out when you start running out of cap space. And and that's, that, that's sort of when you have to build a team that is ready to win now. And right. the Sixers are definitely trending on that edge by acquiring Jimmy Butler and pretty much... A promising to re sign him based on the pieces they gave up in that trade.
1: Sure, but they don't have to re sign him. Sure. I think there is. I mean, it would be. It would look terrible, and they gave up Robert Covington and Dario Sarge, who are both good. Uh, I don't know that they would have been able to afford keeping Dario Sarge anyway, but that aside, you know, I, I just. I really am worried about the future of this team long term because their big pieces don't necessarily fit. And the only piece that I'm 100% convinced about is Joel Embiid.
0: Yeah, that's. That's uh, absolutely one thing that um, I'm concerned about as well. And uh, we'll see what the future holds for the Sixers uh, as we go on this season and uh, the seasons after that as well. So moving on, um, we're going to be talking about the Lakers and specifically um, LeBron not being on the team right now. And uh, obviously this is something that is hurting the Lakers quite a bit right now as they go through this stretch run. Um, and uh, they might lose their playoff spot, Vikram.
1: Yeah, I mean, right now they're sitting at twenty-one and eighteen, and the the team right behind them, which is a Utah, is at twenty and twenty, and uh, they're on a. The Lakers are on a two-game losing streak in the last ten. They're three and seven, and some of those games they had LeBron James. So uh, this is a very inopportune time for LeBron to be out, and also they just don't look as sharp without him. And then also another player that they're they're without that is also significant is Rajon Rondo. And I think they're really missing this veteran leadership, this veteran playmaking, and this ability to set players up to succeed. And so I think these are a couple of, of big issues uh, for the Lakers moving forward, and I think they're in danger of losing their playoff spot uh, in the short term. The Whether or not they make it to the playoffs long term is completely and totally a question of how long LeBron James is out. Thankfully, it doesn't appear that he's going to be out for that much longer, uh, and I'm glad that... The Lakers are taking all necessary uh, precautions with him returning from this injury. Because let's be honest, this year they're not projected to win the championship. And his long-term health is paramount. And one of the things that we we kind of forget is his career has been marked with no real serious injuries. It's amazing that his at his age, he played 82 games last season. So, I mean, it's just unfortunate that he's injured, but... You know, it's better to be safe than sorry with him right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Moving off LeBron for a second, Rondo has had a couple of freak injuries this year, right? Both both to his hand, hand-related stuff, and both free, sort of freak injuries that never really happened on a basketball court, but they've happened to Rondo. So, I mean, hopefully his recovery is quick, too, because it's clear that he is also a leader on the floor with the Lakers, and you could see during the game against the Warriors when the Warriors were starting to make their run and come back. Rondo was sort of the one who righted the ship. So the fact that he's out of the lineup and uh, LeBron is out of the lineup at the same time certainly makes the Lakers look like a very young team. And with youth comes inexperience. And um, also along with the inexperience comes uh, making mistakes on the court that you shouldn't make. Probably more missed free throws than you should have. And uh, yeah, the Lakers are sort of struggling right now and they sort of have to weather the storm.
1: Yeah, I still believe the Lakers are the worst free throw shooting team in the league, and they just have been uh, the entire <laughs> the entire year. So from that perspective, I'm not sure whether or not LeBron and, and Rondo being out really hurts there. But I understand your general point, and you're right. Uh, the idea is they are a young team, and they brought in these veterans to kind of show the Lakers, well, the younger Lakers, the ropes, and you know speed up their development and provide the team with that leadership that that is so important night to night. And so the uh, the fact that they don't have that is a problem, but ultimately, you know, it's not something that I'm I'm worried about once LeBron returns and once Rondo returns. And Rondo is absolutely winning the king of hand injuries. He's had a few really bad hand injuries from back in his time with the uh, with the Bulls and that, that cost him that playoff series with the oh, Celtics. Yeah.
0: He, uh, he also had that had
1: hand injury there. He's had a lot of these weird, just weird hand injuries that are like you said, just aren't really like NBA injuries typically. So Like, that's a, it's a concern because I want to see Rondo on the court more than, uh, more often than not. So, and his presence is greatly missed for the Warriors, or for the Lakers, excuse me. And he was incredible in that game against the Warriors. And without him, I'm not sure if they were going to win, if they would have won that game, especially considering LeBron went out, right, with the injury in that game. So, there are a few critical elements to this story that I think are extremely important to, to remark on. But... It's safe to say if LeBron James plays uh, for the rest of this year with a couple maintenance games, I do believe that they're going to make the playoffs.
0: Absolutely, I, I i don't think I don't think it is that much of a concern. But again, with how close the Western Conference is, it's something to watch out for as like as we get into the later parts of the season. If the Lakers are behind, we're going to be looking back at this part of the season when the Lakers probably uh, would have had a better spot or. Uh, are fighting for their spots, So, I mean, we'll see as the season goes on. So, uh, but the main story that uh, involving LeBron this week was his uh, comments on his show, More Than An Athlete. And it's a show on ESPN. Plus, if you happen to have a subscription to that service, you should check out the show. I have a subscription and I have not watched the episode. But there were some comments that came out of the episode that made news specifically LeBron saying that he is the greatest of all time after winning his championship uh, with the Cavs against the Warriors of course now um, a couple a couple things I I want to talk about Uh, Vikram is LeBron the greatest of all time and second of all does he have the right to say that
1: so I'll address the second part of it first he can say whatever he wants and I'll be honest if he believes that, there's no reason he shouldn't say that. I don't necessarily believe the idea that, oh, if, if somebody else is, if, if you are truly the greatest of all time, then other people are going to make the case for you. And people do make that case for LeBron, but I, I think it's completely inane to say that he doesn't have the right to say whatever the heck he wants to say. I mean, it's well with it, he feels that. And I, I do think that championship will go down as a seminal moment in, in Cleveland sports history. So, I mean, it is important. It is significant. And from, from a perspective, it is more significant than some other championships, given the level of adversity he had to face with that Warrior squad. So, I mean, I understand the sentiment. Whether or not I agree with him being the greatest of all time, you know, that's a secondary question. And to be honest, his career is not over, so I don't necessarily have a perspective, like the full perspective yet. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal player. I think he is one of the greatest of all time, and he is in that conversation. Uh, his finals record leaves something to be desired, And I think Michael Jordan actually made a really poignant point about this, which was that when he was asked this question, he basically said, well, I can't really tell you definitively whether or not I'm the greatest of all time because I never got an opportunity to play against some of these other people in different eras. And I think that's an important point. It's hard to compare eras. And we see this all the time with, you know, which team is the greatest of all time and those types of discussions. The game has changed. The metrics have changed. How we evaluate players has changed. So the idea that you know anyone can definitively say exactly who is the best player of all time at any given time, I think, is 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 difficult. But I do think that there are certain accomplishments we can look at and see that are important. And without a doubt, LeBron James is definitely in that conversation.
0: Yeah. So going back to the context he brought up, the greatest of all time, with uh, on, on the show. First of all, I think that one thing that these superstars and uh, people who are in the greatest of all time conversation have in common is that they have this ego about themselves. They have this aura about themselves that, uh, I am the greatest. Whenever I step on the court, I'm the greatest player on the court at that point in time. And that, and that's sort of what makes them great. I mean, we, we want all those, all the players who are on the court at a certain, uh, point in time to have that mentality so so in a way I'm not surprised that LeBron thinks that he's the greatest of all time because that's the mentality I expect him to have. Now, during that episode, I mean the context of um uh, which where he brought it up is is sort of puzzling to me because uh, number one his career isn't over and number two why do you have to bring it up then? I guess he could have just said that that the, I mean that was the greatest moment in Cleveland sports history or that, that is a moment where uh, I I felt at my highest, at my peak, bringing up that I'm the goat because of that thing is, uh, I don't know. It's a legal, it's a little, um, uh, social media esque, and and it's a little of him like, um, what do you call it? Not knowing the full consequences of what he's saying, what he's saying at a certain point in time. Um, but he has every right to think it. I, I agree with you there, and I also agree with you that this greatest of all time debate is a debate with no right answer, and uh, a debate a debate that will go on forever through all eras. Yes, yeah.
1: and I think the hard thing is, is especially comparing metrics in that in that day and age, because LeBron James has had to face you know one of the greatest teams of all time in the Warriors, and then that's that's different than other teams having to that. Other players that have won championships have had to face other teams and there are there are other considerations there that we have to look at. And it's difficult to evaluate this all on the fly. And so people are gonna have this debate ad nauseum, you know, for the next forever long basketball is a sport. People are gonna have this debate. Yeah. And we should just be we should enjoy the fact that there is so much history in this game and appreciate that for what it is. And I don't necessarily know that, you know, getting caught up in like a pedantic argument about, you know, how many championship makes a great player and, and that and that's all important, right? So, like, it is important.
0: Look, Will Chamberlain so, scored 100 points in a game. People yes. never know whether or not he was actually the greatest scorer of all time. You, you, you know what I'm saying there? It's, uh, I, I mean, it's to your point that there, there is a difference in eras. There is a different way the game was played throughout different eras. And uh, people just like to bring it up as a debate just to fill up time uh, right. on, on their shows, right?
1: I think you just got to enjoy the game for what it is today. And if you don't enjoy it anymore, then you don't have to watch it. But like, that's a choice that you make, right? But enjoy the game for what it is. Enjoy the players for what they do. They are the best in the world at what they do. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe the arguments that, oh, back in my day, the game was played this way. Yeah, the game's different. Deal with it. If you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. But don't complain about how the game has changed. It's changed because the players have changed. The skills have changed. What is expected of players has changed. I mean – and I think that the GOAT debate is, is similar in that respect as well. Whether or not like LeBron James should say that or it's smart for him to say that, you know, that's, that's completely secondary. Uh, I agree with you. The timing was slightly odd, but you know, he can say whatever the heck he wants and it's his show and he has a media company so that he can – so he has a platform to say what he wants. And I appreciate him talking about politics. I appreciate him talking, speaking out about a, a, a large number of issues. So the idea that there's things that are off limits about basketball that he should say, I think, is a little over the top, too. So I think that's what we should we should end on with this debate. Like he can say right. what he wants and he's going to continue to prove and he's going to continue to try and prove that with the Lakers for the rest of his career. So there, there a, are
0: people who I mean, there are older guys who have that get off my lawn mentality and say the game was better back in the day. And there are newer guys who uh, come in and I mean, say get out of my room when (laughs) when they i mean it's brought up that uh they're comparing eras so i mean there is no right answer or wrong answer it's just the game is different and uh uh, like it or don't like it that that, that's basically your choice and uh yeah with that we move on because there's not really much to to say about this anymore (laughs) much more to say right yeah yeah so uh so moving on we're going to go to our next segment where we're going to be talking about the warriors And uh, why their struggles this year seem different than uh, what they were in previous years. So uh, this year, I mean, the Warriors, they are still at the top of the Western Conference. We shouldn't lose sight of that. And uh, despite uh, their lack of depth, continue to uh, be able to, um, I guess, uh, I mean, exert their dominance in some ways. But there are are questions as to whether the issues with this team are actually actual issues or some uh, are um, based on effort. And, uh, Vikram, just give your take on that. Uh, Are the Warriors' struggles this season for real?
1: I think they're definitely for real. And I think that there are just a number of of issues that are plaguing them. And I, I think the real biggest one simply is the fact that the Warriors have changed since the beginning of their run when they were the strength-in-numbers Warriors. That team was fundamentally different than they are now. And secondly, the league has changed because of that team. And so some of the things that they were doing back then, like they were the only team that really played small ball. They switched everything. And Steph Curry walking into threes and doing all the things were novel. Now that's the league. The entire league not only has caught up to that trend, but has embraced it and built it into their strategies regarding not Warriors, but just in their day-to-day rotations and sets. So, like, that's one significant point that we have to address. Second thing is, we do have to keep in mind they're still third uh, in the West, and they're still playing pretty well, and they have, you know, four All-Stars. Granted, two of the players, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, don't necessarily look uh, as much All-Stars this year. So, like, that's a, that's an important observation to make. Uh, the, the big other thing is that this is probably the shallowest that they've been during this run. And I think that's a, that's a really important observation. This is not the strength in numbers warriors like they were at the beginning. And, you know, that was, that was aided by a number of, uh, of interesting occurrences, including that, uh, four year, $44 million contract for Steph Curry. So, I mean, th- those are factors that you can't necessarily repeat over and over and over. So, These are just things that we have to keep in in mind and in perspective uh, for the Warriors in the future. But I think the big – there are two other things that I want to mention about the Warriors that I think are big problems. Number one, their defensive intensity has been iffy at at best. I think they're 15th right now. Last year they were 8th and there were some concerns about their defense. But what they did was during the season, you saw instances where they were capable of locking up the best teams – uh, I have not seen that this year, and having watched a fair amount of Warriors basketball, it's something that concerns me. Uh, the other thing that I don't like is they have not won any games in overtime, and so like these are all things where I'm concerned about what the Warriors are right now, and it's not something that that says hey they're not going to win the championship, they're not great, but I think the overall argument is this year I think I would take the field over the over the Warriors if you were to give me that choice, hmm. and that's that's new. Because I would have never said that last year or the year before.
0: And, and that's, and look that's overall change. A part of this is that we expect the Warriors to be seven games up on the next team in the West at this point in the season, but that is not the case this year. They're third and they're one and a half games behind the Denver Nuggets. who thought we would have been saying that, especially after their ten and one start. they we, we forget the the Warriors started ten and one, and they look like they are they were on their way to a pretty dominant season once again but i mean Steph got hurt and and then they sort of had to like mend mend the pieces with um with kd and and draymond going getting in that in that spat with each other and they ne- they've never quite recovered from that and i don't want to say that that's an issue that's still prevailing within the confines of the team but it certainly sounds like they are struggling to find their their step since that point in time and I, w- I want to go back to what you said about their depth, because you're absolutely, absolutely right. They're not strength in numbers anymore. That, that's that their motto doesn't seem to be what they live by anymore, but it's really, really difficult to find players off the scrap heap when you have four all stars. And that's, right. that's, that, that's part of the thing here. Um, it's easier for the warriors for sure, but it's, it's hard in general. And you're going to have different results with that every year. Last year, it was JaVale McGee, Zaza Pachulia, Kevon Looney, um, and I guess Matt Barnes. You you had different players who came in and filled those roles, and there, there still could be players. I mean, we have not reached the waiver wire deadline. The Warriors could significantly improve their team then. But right right now, obviously, picking up players off the scrap heap, it's not... It's it's not an easy thing to do, and the Warriors are facing the brunt of that uh, difficulty now. But as you said, uh, their defensive intensity is not there this year, and that's something I'm actually very troubled by. At least last year, you saw it in spurts. You saw it in the third quarter. Their third quarter last year was the best quarter um, probably... Best best quarter probably ever played by any team. And those that was a quarter where the Warriors sort of blew away teams and uh, sort of rested in the fourth quarter and um, waited to play another game. And right. during during the second half of last year, they, they were sort of giving away these games and everybody was saying, well, just wait until the playoffs. The real Warriors will come and we'll be ready to play. I'm not really sure about that this year. And, I mean, taking the field over the Warriors, I'm sort of... Uh, I'm sort of on the bridge right now uh, because I, obviously I am a fan and I want to see the Warriors do well, but I have to be realistic at some point. And right now, the war, uh, the Warriors don't look like the dominant team of the past. That's, uh, that's pretty much what I want to say.
1: They are not. I don't believe that they're dominant this year. They are very good this year. They are one of the teams, one of the league's best teams, maybe even the best team, but they are not the dominant team that we have become accustomed to watching uh, over the years. The second thing that I would... There, there are a couple other comments that I think are really important to make. Uh, the One of the big things is this game against the Rockets, to me, was a, was a pivotal moment for me in my conception of the Warriors. And the reason for that is you're playing a Rockets team without Chris Paul, without, uh, without Eric Gordon, no, without any secondary scorers, right? You're literally playing a team... Basically, you're playing against Clint Capella, Austin Rivers, and James Harden. Like those are the three established scorers on that team. And you're telling me that amongst the entire game, winner, the winner loss is not necessarily important to me because had, had the Warriors made some uh, some shots down the down the stretch, you know the the result would have been different. But the concern really is, if you can't turn it on for that game, you can't shut down the one guy, James Harden, that is lighting you up. What exactly are you doing? And to, to the point, I was actually really concerned tonight with their win against the Kings, where their defense was fairly atrocious. I mean, yes, the Kings were hot, but, I mean, you let Buddy Heald make eight threes in a game. Granted, they did shut him down in the fourth quarter, and that's something that is praiseworthy because that's something they've struggled to do is shut down hot guys this year. So, I mean, there, there are definitely areas for improvement that the Warriors have, and I certainly hope that they take that step forward because, you know, I root for the Warriors. I would like for them to win but I'm, I'm legitimately worried this year and concerned about their, their chances. And the second thing for me is I've always felt like the Warriors have had a dependable center. And that's not to say Kavan Looney is not a dependable center, but him as your everyday starting center uh, is, in my mind, a little bit problematic because he's just kind of smaller than other big men.
0: So that's pretty interesting, Vikram. because that's something I wanted to bring up. So If you don't uh, remember, Hassan Whiteside and Draymond Green had this little spat on Twitter. And basically, the point that Draymond was trying to make was that big men are like dinosaurs. They have no offensive game. And that's pretty much the reason why we're able to get away with going small in the fourth quarter and exploit you guys on the offensive side of the ball. Because you guys don't have an offensive game, so I can guard you really easily. And uh, that is why we're able to go small. Nowadays, and we talked about this last week, the evolution of the big man allows the big man to take over the game. And this is certainly hurting the Warriors a little bit. Uh, What's your take on this, Vikram? So uh,
1: the big thing, so I think the biggest issue the Warriors have with big men is uh, they give up so many offensive rebounds. Their ability to rebound the basketball is severely limited by the fact that their centers are so much shorter than the opposing centers if you look at what Clint Capella did to them, if you look at what Yusuf Nurkic did to them, if you look at what Amitza Zubats did to them, a lot of it is, yes, they're, they're able to get post positions, stuff like that, but particularly with people like Capella, the big thing is they're grabbing a lot of rebounds and giving those teams second chances at the Warriors. And given the fact that the Warriors themselves are having defensive issues, rebounding is the huge problem that they're having this year. And that starts with personnel. And DeMarcus Cousins coming back, I think will be one of the most important things for this team, not necessarily for his offensive game or anything like that. But the idea of just having a big body there to rebound the basketball is really, really important for this team. But you're right. The idea that, hey, the big man is like an extinct dinosaur of the past, I think that that was true for about a season, maybe a season and a half. But you're seeing the evolution of their skill sets and also the idea that attack... If if you're going to switch everything on defense, attack the mismatch with your big man, because I'm going to, if you have a seven footer on a six, five guard, I'm going to take the seven footer backing him down and laying the ball up every single time as an efficient form of offense. And so the idea that big men are extinct uh, is completely to my mind in the pale. It might've been true when Draymond green was at his peak as a defensive player, but he's fallen off a little bit and I'm not sure it's true anymore for the warriors at least.
0: He he has fallen off a little bit, and uh, a combination of that is the big man has gotten better. So you're you're seeing both things happen, and that is pretty much what is hurting the Warriors. You think you still think the Warriors uh, figure it out come come the playoffs? I, I mean, the addition of Boogie is going to be huge, and how he how he fits is now very important because I mean when we were previewing the season, we thought that if Boogie doesn't work out, that's okay. But now he sort of has to work out, doesn't he?
1: One hundred percent, he has to work out if this team wants to win the NBA title. I think, at least, uh, I mean, I think it would be it is possible for them to win without uh, Boogie or another uh, or another center option. But I think uh, I think it exceedingly unlikely. I've heard a lot of talk on on various shows and podcasts that big men can be schemed off the floor in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. I just don't know how you get over the rebounding gap. To be hundred percent honest,
0: I, I don't think it can happen this year. Like, look at the big men that the that the Warriors are going to face this year. They're gonna, they're probably gonna face Serge Ibaka if they uh, see Toronto in the playoffs. They're probably gonna face Nikola Jokic if Denver gets far in the playoffs. They're probably gonna face, um, Yusuf Nurkic, um, Lamarcus Aldridge. They're gonna face big men. Okay.
1: So let's go down the list. The eight playoff teams. That uh, in the West, currently Denver, they're going to have to face Jokic, Jokic. Oklahoma City. They're going to play Steven Adams, the Clippers. They're going to play the Trey, the three headed dragon of Gortot Harrell and uh, and Boban. Harold the one
0: I'm concerned about the most uh,
1: for in that on that team. Yes. For the Warriors. Harrell, Harrell bullied. Harrell absolutely bullied the Warriors in their game against the Clippers. Or yeah, in the in the Warriors games against the Clippers, the Montrose Herald absolutely bullied them, got a ton of rebounds. Like they weren't able to keep him off the glass or prevent him from getting to where he wanted to get. Houston, they're gonna face Clint Capella. San Antonio, they have to deal with LaMarcus Aldridge. Portland, they have to deal with Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, the next, the next, the last spot is the Lakers or the Jazz. The Lakers, they got to deal with JaVale McGee. The Jazz, they have to deal with Rudy Gobert. I mean, you look up and down this, uh, up and down the Western Conference. How do you stop all of these centers when your biggest body that you're playing at the center spot is Kevon Looney? And if you, when we watched today's game, did you watch how Willie Cauley Stein got open run, uh, rim runs and dunks all night? Like those are some that's problematic for the Warriors without size on the inside. I don't know how they they're going to be able to play a high enough level defense to be successful in the postseason. So Boogie's role on this team is is. Really important now because they need that big body. And I think it would be worthwhile to uh, potentially consider bringing in another center at the waiver wire, especially with Damian Jones injured and also with uh, uh, with Jordan Bell not taking a step forward this year. So, like, that's a concern. And just to point out, Willie Colley-Stein had five offensive rebounds tonight. So I mean, and so did Nemanja Bjelica, and Nemanja Bielitsa is not the greatest offensive rebounder on earth. He's but not. you're giving size to that, and so I think that's really, really significant for the Warriors to figure out.
0: Uh, absolutely, you're you're right on the money there. Also, Rudy Gobert has improved his offensive game. He used to be one of those dinosaurs, not so much anymore. And uh, and with that, I guess okay. So you brought up the waiver wire uh, deadline. Robin Lopez is a name to watch out for. Uh, and um, that is a name that has been associated with the Warriors, and uh, I guess we'll see whether that happens. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much our segment on the Warriors. And uh, we're going to end the show uh, with uh, one random question. So I'm going to ask Vikram a random, random question, and he's going to answer, and then Vikram's going to ask me a random question, and I'm going to answer. And uh, I guess it basically has to be about the NBA, but I guess it doesn't have to. But anyways, I'm going to start off. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets... So I'm going to start, uh, the Brooklyn Nets are now in playoff position, uh, Vikram. And we, we said last year, last week that maybe they don't make the playoffs, but they're the seven seed right now. Um, do the Nets get a max free agent next year?
1: Uh, I don't know about next year just because I don't think the board is very large for, for free agents in the sense that I don't think there are that many marquee players that are that are up for free agency next year, or the ones that are like Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant, I, I don't necessarily know that those players are going to go to the Nets. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is going to the Nets. So I don't know that their free agent aspirations are going to be fulfilled next year. Uh, I think that's probably the big the big issue that I have in terms of the Nets getting a, a marquee free agent. But I do think this run of success is really important for them as a team moving forward because that will bring free agents to them eventually, especially when they have a solid core, uh, especially once they get Karis Vert back. So I, I think in that sense, any step forward that they take is important. But next year, I'm not sure they're going to get anything.
0: Hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I, I pretty much have the same thought process as you. I think they're going to be in the conversation of for getting free agents I just don't think there will be max free agents and I don't think those necessarily circle Brooklyn as a destination but Brooklyn is fine just the way they are right now they have they have a great young core they're starting to figure out how to win games Joe Harris has been great I love Joe Harris
1: So Joe Harris is I, I thought that was one of the best contract signings of last summer uh, especially with what he does for this team and so, like, those are the types of things that you talk about that are, that are really significant. They have a good roster. You know, they, not only do they have a, a good roster, they have a lot of what I would call solid NBA players at every position. So the, the analogous team to me in the West is actually the Clippers here. You look up and down that roster, they don't have any superstars, but they have solid NBA veterans at every single position. Not necessarily the country, but solid NBA players at every single position up and down that roster. And I, I look at the Nets in kind of a similar way. They have solid NBA talent at every position, and that should be appealing to other teams. And if like, the Clippers land Kawhi Leonard next summer, that's an example of where having a solid roster pays off for teams. And sustained superior performance as a metric for teams is significant. And, and I think that's what we have to look at.
0: And another note is that they have done this without any top— lottery draft picks after that kevin garnett paul pierce trade they pretty much had no draft capital they leveraged they've been able to pull this off through great coaching and great player development and props to the nets and sean marks their management team and kenny atkinson for developing the players
1: oh yeah i think that is absolutely it is absolutely amazing what sean marks has done from the uh from the gm side of it and from the the management side and then what Kenny Atkinson, can, eh, Kenny Atkinson has done with the players in terms of player development. So I think you are 100% on the money in terms of what they're doing right now. So ultimately I think the Nets are absolutely a team on the rise and I'm very excited to watch them in the future. Uh, but I really enjoy watching them now as well. I, I do think the one thing they're going to have to figure out is the role of D'Angelo Russell on the team as – as they move forward, particularly with the uh, with the contract extension they gave to Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, you mentioned last week. There's no there's not a requirement that they get rid of D'Angelo Russell now that they've got Spencer Dinwiddie. But I'm not sure what they do with those two players uh, at at the same time, or what that looks like long term for the team building forward. So that's going to be an interesting conversation to have. Uh, For the Nets, and I think the decisions that they make regarding that are are important in the future moving on, especially since I don't think that they're going to get a marquee free agent this summer.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I think that's the end of my random question. Uh, Do you have a random question, Mikram?
1: I do. Uh, What do you think? Do you think the Hawks are going to regret the Doncic for Trey Young and a pick trade?
0: Hmm. Well, okay. Let's 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 analyze this for a second. So, it was the trade was Doncic for Trey Young and a pick, and the pick is going to yep. come this year. And is the pick protected at all?
1: It is, but I believe it will convey given where the where the Mavericks are right now.
0: Fine. So I, I guess the Mavericks are in the middle of the bottom of the Western Conference. So. Assuming that stands, the Hawks should get their pick, right? But another thing to watch out for uh, this in this year's lottery, uh, it is m- you're more likely to get the number one pick this year if you're in the middle uh, of the bad team. So they made it less advantageous to tank, basically. What it well, is. So, they made it
1: is? made less advantageous to be the worst team in to, the league.
0: To be the worst team, exactly. So if you're the worst team in the NBA, you still have the highest chances to get the number one pick but it's not as high as it used to be. I, I forgot the exact percentages, but a team in the middle of the pack uh, like Dallas could actually get the number one pick. It's more likely this year than it was ever, so I would add that. But assuming I that don't, the Hawks enough. get that pick, I would have to see who the Hawks draft, but it is re- th- that trade is really looking bad for the Hawks. It really is, given where yeah, Donchus I- is right now and given what Donchus... Just future prognosis is uh with the with the Dallas Mavericks listen he looks like a perennial all-star and the second you pass that up and you trade that pick it comes with regret there's absolutely no doubt about it yeah, I yeah. Mean, do, do you have do you have anything to add to that question uh I I, I guess where I'm coming from is that trades I, I feel that it takes three years to du- to judge a trade yeah, absolutely. especially a trade that involves draft picks,
1: right, right. Especially because we don't necessarily know what the uh, what the trade is going to look like, because you never know. The Mavericks may or the the Hawks may completely hit on the pick next year, right? Like yeah, it might and that would completely change things. And that would completely change things. But as it is now, with what Trey Young looks like now, I think that the Hawks will come to regret that trade. Which is not to say that Trey Young can't be. A viable NBA prospect in some way, but the issue with Trey Young is he's so undersized that defensively he's always going to be a problem, no matter what. He's what six six foot six one maybe, and maybe 170, 175 pounds. Like
0: look, no matter I, how I, I I look at it, th- I, I look at it this way: it is much easier to find guards in the NBA than it is to find skilled wing players like Doncic who are Euroleague MVPs, who are coming into the league very experienced, uh, are mature beyond their years. You, you see what I'm saying? I'm I'm applying the rule that I apply in fantasy basketball here. And I, I know that rules probably... The rules that you apply in fantasy basketball probably don't apply to real life. But I think in this case, it does. And it's easier to find guards. So it, there it is. Just is. There are... So you so... could have drafted Doncic and maybe... Uh, found a guard at the uh, like like got back in the first round even this year and found a guard that could have could have been a part of your future I guess that's what I'm trying to say
1: what you're talking about that I think is important is the idea of positional value yes and positional value is important in the sense that Right now, wing players are amongst the the most valuable assets that a team has, right? Like, every team wants a long, athletic, three-shooting wing that can play defense. Like, that's the perfect storm for most teams, right? Because positional versatility is a must, and that player is super, super valuable. So from that perspective, drafting Trey Young instead of Jontich does not make a ton of sense. So I 100% agree with you uh, with that.
0: And Jontich can also- play three positions. He could play point guard, shooting guard, small forward, I guess.
1: And he's played some power forward this year. Yeah. He's got a big body, too. He's not just – you know, he's not skinny. He's got he's got a pretty decent frame on him. And we don't even know what Luka Doncic is going to be because his conditioning isn't necessarily completely NBA level right now. And give him a couple years in an NBA strength and conditioning program, I think you're going to see him improve even further. I, I just don't know that even when the draft day deal happened – which I remember because I was in Chipotle actually getting dinner when I heard about this trade. <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't even know that the upside for Trey Young was ever higher than what Luka Doncic is. And if I'm wrong, and I, I hope Trey Young has an extremely successful NBA career, because I, been, I really enjoyed watching him in college. He was super exciting to watch. I, I just don't know that given his skill set and his size deficiencies and his defensive inefficiency and inability – whether or not he's going to be able to affect the game in a way like a Steph Curry, for example. And I, I don't think he is the same exact type of player. And I don't necessarily think it's even fair to compare the two at this point in their careers. I will say the one thing I really have been impressed with Trey Young uh, is is his passing vision, which he demonstrated amply in, in college, but has really translated well in the NBA. So maybe in a, in a couple months, by the end of the season, our perspective has changed because – Trae Young starts to hit more of his shots, and we can see the path forward for him. But again, with his defensive limitations and his size limitations, I'm not sure exactly what his ceiling is in the NBA right now.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And I just want to add that whenever on this show, whenever we criticize a player, we hope we're wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I just just want to put put that out there because— I mean, some pundits, they like to talk and they, they, like to be, like, they like to be right about things. Whenever we criticize a player or whenever we say, oh, the peak of this player is only this much, we hope we're wrong. And Trey Young, we hope that we're wrong about you. Having said that, I, I think you're right on the money. And I don't think we're going too far off a limb when we say that Monte Morse has probably had a better rookie year than Trey Young.
1: Absolutely. I I think that's undoubtable. I mean, the other thing, just to add on to your point about criticism of players, like, you know, the one thing I think listeners, pundits, and everybody has to keep in perspective is no matter who the NBA player is, every single player in the league is amongst the 500 best players in the world. And, like, that's the starting point that we have to have. When we say, like, when somebody says, oh, you know, this guy sucks, whatever, he doesn't suck. He's one of the most talented athletes in the world. And, like, we have to keep that in mind. But that isn't to say that these players are beyond criticism or beyond any other type of objective analysis of their respective strengths and weaknesses. But that's not to say that I don't wish that I had the same skill set as Trey Young has, you know. So I think that's a really important comment that you made there, Guru.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And uh, with that, I think that that is a good end to our show. Um, so, uh, Vikram, you have any last words?
1: No, I'd say continue working on your New Year's resolutions. Don't give up yet, guys. It's only uh, it's only been a few days in the new
0: year. You can do it. And, <laughs> you you uh, can I still go to the gym tomorrow morning, guys. Don't worry. It's only been yeah. a week.
1: Yeah, I know. It's only been a week, and I'm already like, do I need to go to the gym tomorrow? Sadly. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll see how that goes.
0: All right, guys. So hopefully we'll have uh, another episode for you guys next week, and hopefully we keep this up. This was great. Uh we had some technical difficulties in the middle but hopefully you know I'll be I'll be back home and uh we'll we'll be able to sort those out so until next time guys we'll see you later Have a good night guys